it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 639 for May 17th, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, I am positively thrilled to welcome to the show, Lori Gill, managing editor of iMore and current co-host of MacBreak Weekly on the Twit Network. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so stoked. Now, I feel like I must have been under a rock because I never heard of Lori Gill, never heard of Lori Gill, never heard of her. And then all of a sudden, Lori Gill is everywhere. She's writing like crazy. She's the managing editor of iMore. She writes these amazing articles. She's on MacBreak. I hear in my head, I'm reading her. Give us some of your background. Where did you, I mean, I assume you existed before I found you. <laughs> no, I I literally crawled out of the rock about a year ago. <laughs> no. Um, so, I, you know, I got a journalism degree, um, graduated in 2008, uh, really just kind of didn't know where I wanted to go with life, bought an iPad, fell in love with it. I was, I was never a techie. I fell in love with my first iPad and, and decided, okay, well, I have a journalism degree and I love this iPad. How can I make a career out of this? Found wow. some websites that I could freelance for, applied for a job. They, I got them. This was early on. I wasn't making very much money because I wasn't experienced, but I, immediately connected to it. And I think, I mean, this, it took me a very long time to grow my, who I am as like my authority and my experience. Um, it was a uh, 2016, I believe that I joined iMore, which is kind of where my real career finally hit its stride. I had just been freelancing for a, a variety of websites all, you know, throughout those, those years before then. Oh, and okay. um, when I found my home with iMore, that's where it really kind of set my set my path down there but it was it was the iPad it was so wow. user friendly and easy to use i was not a big apple person i had bought an iphone but not because i was apple or anything like that it was just like okay it's smartphone time and everybody's talking about this iphone so yeah i'll get it i even thought ipods were stupid for the longest <laughs> time because i was you know i was so into record like vinyl records that it just seemed like you know not like who would who would even want this? You know, like this is how I was early on. I was not a techie, and it was the iPad that really just it felt so comfortable and usable. And I realized I am not afraid of technology when I hold this iPad in my in my hand. I'm not afraid to break it because I I anything I do wrong I can fix anything that's Except not for the dropping right. it part. <laughs> like physically, sure, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, th I think we forget. I used to talk about it all the time, but we've forgotten that there was something magical about the iPad that I think like tapped into our DNA mm -hmm. because you can hand it to a two-year-old and do, uh, I mean, a friend of mine's mother was in her 80s with Alzheimer's and she could use an iPad, you know, she would sit there and flip through pictures of her grandchildren and, and intuitively knew how to use it. I mean, not right. fully, not as well as the two-year-old because they're you know, different, <laughs> but uh, it, it tapped into something in us in a way that, I mean, the iPhone's fine, but it's, yeah. the iPad is even more. Yeah. It, it, well, I think in a way the iPad is the computer that we never knew we wanted because we were sort of forced to have what a computer is. And I always felt very intimidated by PCs, especially um, mm. until until I found the iPad, which, you know, it, it at the way back then, the operating system was literally an iPhone operating system with nothing different going Blown on. Up. Yeah. Yeah. But it felt it felt like a computer in size and therefore made me less afraid of it, made me less afraid of computers and technology and everything after that. So 
it, yeah, you're so right. It, it just felt, it felt right. And I say this a lot that, you know, a lot of people talk about how the iPad is not a replacement for a computer and no matter what they do or how hard they try, no matter what keyboard you have, it's never going to be a computer replacement. And my argument has been at least over the last few years, maybe our, what we think a computer should be was taught to us by Microsoft and, and we need to rethink what we think a computer should be. Because I think there's a lot of people, my mom, for example, doesn't own a computer. Everything she does, she does on an iPad and she does just fine. And I think a huge portion of society fits into that category of people who really don't need the kind of computing powder power that an actual PC or Mac computer has. So yeah, iPad is I, kind I, of I that would, great little... I would definitely agree with that for the vast majority of the people. I think the loud people are yeah. <laughs> uh, the the people like me who want to do these bigger things. And um, for example, the the whole slide over dual, you know, dual pane thing on the iPad is something that normal people probably will never think to use, never try to use. And that's why they're so happy. But those mm -hmm. of us who try to use it are constantly foiled by it. I mean, I am yeah. an incredibly advanced user and I would say I can successfully bring an app up in slide over maybe 20% of the time I try. And I keep trying. So I yeah. should be good at it by now. And when I do it, I'm like, oh, wait, what did I do? Why did it work that time? Yeah. And then and there's also those moments where you've even kind of you've even prepped your tabs, if you want to call them tabs, where, OK, I've got split view open with Safari and my notes app. And then but I've also got this other tab where I've got, you know, another Safari tab open with, um, you know, my my Slack chat and and you can switch between the two and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you open up some other third thing. And then when you go back to the tab that has Slack and Safari, suddenly that's not there anymore. <laughs> what happened? Why did my split screen tab just disappear? Well, it's, yeah, it's I have multitasking only, is very frustrating for I've sure. I've only accidentally figured out how to get two Safari tabs up. I, I, it's <laughs> happened every once in a while. I went, oh man, I didn't mean to do that. How do I make it go away? Well, maybe if I grab the center thing and just drag it over, it'll go away. And it does. But I have no idea how I caused it. I have no because clue it's not. It. Yeah, even though there's so much that's in intuitive about iPad OS, multitasking is absolutely not intuitive at <laughs> not all. In, in that fact, category. in fact, I think since they they switched over from iOS to iPad OS, multitasking has gotten worse because there's new ways of triggering apps when you long press on them, which they they got rid of the 3D touch and, and introduced haptic touch, right? So you used to be able to press and hold on an app and drag it up to your split screen. Now when you press and hold on the app, you get your little menu screen. And that that I didn't want the menu screen. I was trying to I was trying to like grab it and drag it, but now grabbing it is a totally different inner like a uh, uh, gesture and that messes with you too. So yeah, I know yeah, it's and, and frustrating. Then all the times that you go to do that and you accidentally just get back to the home screen. <laughs> so then you got to launch the thing again. It's just like, yeah, I, I feel like they've done such a good job. And then there's this big piece that they don't really uh, recognize. And I, I'm going to do our, we technically we have an agenda, but we haven't started it yet, but I'm going to jump <laughs> to the thing that, that really struck me and it's in this perfect category of where they did something right and then it's completely wrong at the same time. Uh, Craig Federighi was interviewed on the App Stories podcast with Federico Vitici. Yeah, did you listen to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it was it was a great interview. And and Frederico is is obviously, you know, wow, that he's getting to to interview Craig. And I'm sure there are rules about what you're allowed to ask and how mean you're allowed to be. But I really (laughs) wanted him to challenge him on a couple of things because he was talking about how Craig was describing how intuitive and seamless the interface of using a magic trackpad with iOS is. I'm sorry, iPad OS is. And (laughs) there there's these things that are driving me crazy. And probably the single biggest thing is you're used to touching the uh, the screen, right? So you've got some text up and you want to edit in the middle of a paragraph. So you tap it with your finger and then you realize, oh, I need to get more precise. Well, wait, I've got a trackpad now. I'll get more precise. And you start to move the cursor with the trackpad. The pointer's in a completely different place. Those are two <laughs> different pointers. The one that you move with the trackpad and the one you move with your finger are not the same one. What? <laughs> how is that? How is that seamless, Craig? Because he was like, oh, it's seamless and it just flows and there's no jolting, no, no, no stutter, <laughs> no. Yeah. So yeah, I I think there's a couple things going on here. Number one, he's obviously market speak. He's obviously trying to make sure you know he gets a message ap- across. That's a that's you know what a great and seamless. He doesn't experience say we suck is. at this part, <laughs> right? And and. I have to, have you I've have you used another keyboard trackpad with the iPad yet? I I interviewed the CEO of of Bridge at CES, but Great. I didn't use it in anger. I mean, I just used it for a couple <laughs> of minutes. You know. Okay, so I've had the Bridge for three four months now mm-hmm. um, with the trackpad, and it's a fantastic user experience. But it, until they had the update, which they actually just released an update, and I've been using the Magic Trackpad, so I have not used it with their new update, so I cannot speak to it at the moment. But there were some little things that that did suffer, and it, it was their the study the bridge, the bridge, oh, okay. and there was a little bit of stuttering when you would scroll. Um, pressing the trackpad was actually not. I, I did not like the experience of the clicking of a trackpad. I switched over yes. to the light tap because yeah. I didn't like that. I hate clicking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so with the the magic keyboard with trackpad. I, I would argue that that their sentiment is true, which is we have a deeper level of experience with the um, iPad OS and the and the pointer and and all that feature those features. So therefore, we're able to provide a better user experience than a third party um, trackpad that may not have that kind of that level of depth. So I I would say he's right that the experience is better than others. But I also agree with you that it's still in its infancy stages. So you have to keep in mind that this this was an accessibility feature first. And before, right. and you know, less than a year ago, there wasn't a pointer feature at all that that we could access. You had to have like a special, um, you know, a special, special mouse, tool right. that would let you do that. So they're, you know, step one, they made this accessibility feature open to everyone which was a very awkward experience. We were mm-hmm. happy that we could have it, but it certainly was an awkward experience. Then they updated by turning this round target that was previously used as the trackpad pointer um, or, or mouse pointer or whatever into something that would spread out when it went across a button or um, turn into a line when you were about to go into a text area. And that is really cool. But they still have so much work to do with that. And, and I like all these things that you're talking about are very true, which is they have failed to create the final experience 
for um, pointers with iPadOS. And so I maybe think maybe I shouldn't call it a failure. I should call it a not yet. It's yeah. It's a it's it's a it's a it's still an infant. I think what they so what they did was they provided us with this new this new feature. And now the world is using it. And what we're doing with it, they can now take that information and research and development and implement it into a better experience for iPadOS 14, which I think by the time 14 comes out, some of those pain points you have right now are going to be completely solved. Like not having a button down, like you you, um, you had mentioned to me, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more, in the mail app, the up at the top, all the buttons up at the top, they have that like beautiful spread where it turns into a button. But right. down at the bottom, the, the, the um, icons that you would click on down at the bottom, they don't change. So you don't know that you're even scrolling over it. You're not sure you've even, you're in the right spot for it. You just have to hope that when you click the yeah, arrow like the button, reply button, the in, reply in button, yeah, doesn't doesn't light up. And when you hover over a um, an email, it doesn't say now you can click this. it to me that spreading out and taking the shape of the button is saying this is something you can click. That's what that says to me. So when I hover over something I think I can click and it doesn't, I'm like, well, why? Why, you know, and third party apps are much worse. Some of them have um, it seems to be buttons across the top are pretty standardized. So almost always anything across the top works and all, uh, most of the buttons across the bottom do not. It's almost yeah. like the API they that Apple had originally didn't make those things the same kind of button under the hood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're you're very possibly right on mm -hmm. that exact thing, which is they didn't finish it. They it's you might call it half baked, but because we have, you know, constant access to the updates that they make it's half baked it today, baked. <laughs> but it will get, it will get baked because these are the kinds of experiences that we're, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're, you know, sending on our little radars and saying like, you know, this doesn't work. Why doesn't this work? And there's somebody in the background who's like, you know, puts that on their little checklist of, okay, let's go <laughs> fix that. Let's make sure that starts to work for, across the board yeah. on the bottom. No, I and, did hear in, in the interview with Craig that there is an API specifically for the pointer stuff. So we'll probably see third-party apps, uh, you know, the Facebook app will do it in 2027 because uh, they don't recognize that the iPad exists uh, yet. Um, yeah. So I mean, I am now that you say half baked. I'm going to even say three quarters baked. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. it's mostly there, but I think almost, mostly is almost as annoying as not at all because you're like, ah, I'm used right. to it. You know, I want it's, that to keep working. Right, and it's it's that our brains are so satisfied up to that point. That when it's taken away from yeah, us, when that is. comfortable like experience is taken away from us, yeah. we we're we're even more upset that we don't have it. It's similar to the way Siri will work seven times, and you're like, "This is great," you know. This this thing turns my lights off all the time, and then the three times it doesn't work, you you want to throw your phone at the wall. It's like you got and hit it, or something, you know? Yeah, it, you it's it's yeah. It becomes this sort of like we almost we're almost afraid of of it not being, you know, the experience we want it to be because it's close to what we want it to be. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember hearing about a um, a uh, uh, test that was done on, on rats in a cage where they would shock them, uh, like, on a regular basis versus inter intermittently. And it was intermittent that drove them. They, like, went insane if you shocked them intermittently. Right. Yes, 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 like. yes, it's yes. Intermittent shocking. Right. So even though this isn't quite like a, a Siri or example or a rat shocking example, 
there's a little bit of insanity that we experience in that, you know, seven buttons out of 10. Oh, I know it's a button. Oh, I know it's there. And then there's three that you just wait. What's what's happening? And that's so frustrating. And it's yeah. like they took something away from us instead of Even not having given have, it to us. Right. We had right, zero yeah. buttons before. Now we have seven, but we feel like we lost three. Yeah, right. Exactly. One yeah. of the ones that really um, it just makes my head explode is I really like using Sidecar. Um, mm-hmm. I have a 27-inch monitor and a 16-inch MacBook Pro, but that is not enough real estate when I'm doing my live <laughs> show. So I put Discord on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro um, using Sidecar. And there's a reason I don't run it natively. It has to do with audio. Anyway, it has to be the one from the Mac. And I can type with my keyboard my magic keyboard, I can type into the iPad and it's going into the Discord experience that's really part of the Mac. It's just a display, but I can't use the pointer. You can, you can use the pointer all, all around the window that has mm-hmm. the, the Discord window, but all of the controls around the outside, those are like yep. the outside has touch targets too. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like yep. an iframe of the Mac that's sitting mm-hmm. inside of the iPad. So if yep. you're moving the iPad cursor, that's not the real one. But for some reason, the keyboard is the real one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that, you know, I hadn't even really thought about that. It was the same when... Um, uh, sidecar first came out and you could use Apple Pencil for certain things and not other things. The, the trackpad is the same. It's the same button pointer kind of experience, which is, again, frustrating. And and something that you're mentioning is that might be something that we could look, we could look out to see maybe. That I haven't heard anybody talk about trackpad and sidecar support in iOS 14. Mm. So it might be more like 14.1 or something like that. I don't well, know. Well, I haven't filed the, uh, you know, feedback at apple.com. I have not yeah. done that yet. <laughs> file uh, your radars. Come on. Got, got that's the right place, right? When you guys say yeah. file a radar, that's what we what you mean, right? There's, yeah, the uh, support for um, developer support for uh, filing radar is uh, apple.com. I don't remember the exact uh, address. I'm sure that we can find it. Can but find yeah, that that's, one out. Yeah, yeah. It, like you say, it is, it is a jarring experience. Um, so let's let's flip around and uh, and talk about what what kind of things are you looking forward to in WWDC? Because when somebody said, "Hey, WWDC is around the corner, and we're going to have these new OSs," I was like, "No, it doesn't <laughs> work." Yeah, you know, I, I, I've just gotten to the point where I will tell my friends, "Well, you can install Catalina if you want, but don't yell at me, please." Yeah, <laughs> oh, and uh, Catalina is a really great example of don't install it unless you have to. In fact, you we're all. That. Uh, at this point, no. I, I I would say Catalina at this point is definitely it's in it's in a good spot. There's I don't think there's anything Finally. that's going to break unless you have older applications. Apps, yeah. um, but you definitely want to check on those older applications before you update, of course. But for the most part, um, it's it works fine now. There's no more weird things where suddenly things get erased or deleted or something like that. But <laughs> right in June, right at WWDC 2019. Um, when Catalina was first announced, you know, you're asking all of your Apple friends, you know, how is it? And your your Apple engineer friends are like, you might want to wait to download this update. <laughs> it's that. still pretty, pretty rough around the edges. And usually by the time the WWDC comes around, it's it's good enough that you can have a pretty fluid user experience with some glitches. But a lot of people had a lot of problems with Catalina. I personally, 
I just, I guess the programs I used, I didn't really experience anything major. For me, the hardest thing was remembering that there was no iTunes anymore. So I would have to go through Finder to to do things that had to do with connecting my my uh, iPad or, or phone to it. Um, oh, yeah. But well, yeah, I, so... I'm still having... Uh, there's just like design decisions they made that just really irritate me. One of the things I have to do all the time is I need to look at an MP3 file that I've just created and I need to see how big is it and how long is it. And I always, 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 always have to readjust the size of the window and the the width of the thing, the columns, in order to see what I want to see. A hundred percent of the time. If mm. I've just had it open, I still have to do it. I have to do it again. And I've created keyboard macros with uh, to, to, to resize the window and resize the, the columns. But used to be able to say, okay, I want all the columns to be the width they have to be, close the window, open it again, and it would stick. And now it doesn't. Right. Now that they did take away. I mean, that's an irritation to me twice a week. Mm -hmm. And and that's the, those are the the little things of, uh, there's a a team of um, developers and engineers that are in the background trying to figure out what the best user experience is for the, for most people. And by doing that, they will sometimes then take away the best user experience for some people. And that's where it does get a little frustrating. And especially on the Mac, there should be, I think, options for us, you know, especially when we know more about the technology on our computers, we're not afraid of of our computers. We should be able to go in and change those things at will on our own and you know, we get to be in charge of how those yeah. interfaces work. And I'm work. even willing to do a default right. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll go out to the terminal. I'm not afraid. I'll get that done. But I don't, right. to my knowledge, there's no way to fix this problem. And I don't, mm-hmm. this one, it's like, there's never a situation where you click on a file and you can see what it's information. That never happens. So I don't know whose interface that would be good for. Right. Because like, uh, it makes the icon, the, the preview is mm-hmm. huge. So it shoves all the information down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So I can turn the preview off. Does, does that solve the problem? Have you? It does. But I need the preview to make sure that the, that the album artwork <laughs> got in there. So right. it takes so away it doesn't solve the I problem. No, yeah. It, yeah. Just great. Well, it does. It just creates this other one. <laughs> right. A, a new one. Right. So, yeah. So then when they were creating this, you know, pr- the preview experience or, you know, being able to see artwork and then suddenly the, the stuff is hidden that you want to see. At some point they decided that, well, most people don't need this extra stuff. So we want to make these windows a certain distance apart so that this is the user experience that most people get. And then, you know, in their their thought process, there was probably this, well, what about the 10% of people who really need to see that extra work? Well, they can, they can make their, their window bigger. They can drag their, their, uh, their, you know, tabs over or something like right, that. Right. Not, not considering the, the frustration, the frustration that you have that every single time you have to do that because every time you close a window, it doesn't save it. Why doesn't it save it? Why doesn't it save what you did so that you, you can open it and look they, the same? They just missed a, a line of code somewhere. Like they forgot that line uh-huh. and they lost yeah. it. Because like you say, it's the loss that bothers me. If it had been right. that way since, you know, System 7 or something, I'd be okay. I'd be right. right. Have, yeah. But looking looking positive, uh, are there any rumors about uh, Catalina that are sound interesting and cool? You know, 
I'm trying to think. Uh, the only big rumors that I'm seeing right now have to do with iPad OS, iOS. I'm not hearing anything new coming to Mac OS. They, I'm hearing some some things that might be a little bit scary for developers, which is stri- more restrictions on privacy. And mm-hmm. um, I, we've already seen some of the experience of making it extra difficult for dev- for us to download apps um, that are not straight from the app store if they're not right. uh, signed. Um, the, that if, went in in the, Catalina, right? Right. So we're already seeing some of these things that seem like they're they're you know not really that great for developers that don't want to go through the app store, which I fully support. We should not have to go through the app store to get our apps on our Macs. Right. On my iPhone, I'm okay with that. On a Mac. I want to be able to get my apps from anywhere I want. I do not want to have to get them from the app store. And I I would like to think that that's never going to happen. But the more security and privacy things they add, which is good for us, the closer we get to a closed-off Mac experience, which I think is very dangerous. I think for people who use computers on a regular basis, they need that kind of flexibility and they need those options. They, they It's not going to work to take that away from me. I, I would have to leave Mac if they started taking away um, the apps that I use that I don't get from the app store. So hopefully right. this is just more measures to keep the average person safe, but we, we will always be able to work around those privacy and security features to get the things that we need. Yeah, you know, I have an example of one of those uh, that was lost by the wayside that was kind of interesting. You know how with um, Rogue Amoeba's loopback, you can create virtual audio devices. So you mm-hmm. can you can say combine iTunes and your microphone together and make that a virtual device that then you could pipe into Skype. Um, right. uh, Leo mentioned an app called Epoch Cam that allows mm. you to take your iPhone uh, or or Android phone into Mac or Windows and make it a virtual video device. And that's mm-hmm. something I've really wanted to be able to do, mostly because I want to be an emoji. And so I wanted <laughs> to be able to do that. And uh-huh. so I bought it. it was like, I, I tested it out at first. Um, they have a free version that's spectacularly covered with ads. It's like the best <laughs> app I've ever seen that is like, just give me eight bucks and I'll take all this pain away. So I gave yeah. me eight bucks. I was like, okay, that's great. And um, But I tried it in Safari into, um, uh, I don't know, a Hangout or something like that, and it didn't work. So I went into Chrome and Chrome always works better for that kind of thing. Anyway, I tried it and it worked just fine. And then I tried it in a Zoom call and it wouldn't work. And I went out to the the, the website and it turned out Zoom had just been updated and Safari had also been updated to not allow virtual webcams oh, wow. for, for security reasons. So right. on, on the Epoch Cam website, they have this super dodgy, well, you can get around it. Just, uh, you know, uh, log in as root and, you know, remove this library. And it's like, yeah, sorry. I'm right. Probably not going to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's where that balance between security and privacy and our our ability to just do whatever we want become really really frustrating for for us for for people who want to play around with and do fun little weird things. So you know the Zoom security feature, for example, I think you remember um, you know right around the time when the shelter in place orders were starting to take place and more and more people were using Zoom to have remote meetings suddenly we learned all of these security and privacy yeah. features that were completely missing. Yeah. So they fixed yeah. that. But by fixing that, 
they took away other apps features to do little things like, you know, be able to use a remote camera to, or a virtual camera to, to with your Zoom. So it protected, right. you know, the 80% of, of the population who they just want to have a remote meeting. But the 20% of the people who want to do fun things like put Animoji on themselves or they just don't have a webcam and they want something that they can use as a webcam, that's been taken away from them to right. protect everybody. So, but, yeah. it's, but it's very but, fresh. But we don't, if we there were a button you Zoom, could push... Though. We don't want no, to no, be no. mad at Zoom for doing security stuff. We applaud definitely, them completely. But. Definitely. And and all like all of the private security things, I applaud 100%. But if they could all all of them just give us the button where if we choose to, we can take away some of those privacy and security features. We're the ones who are at, you know, like in charge of that. So, you know, if I take away my security privacy feature and I get Zoom bombed, that's my fault, not right. You right. know, not Zoom's fault, but but the button, the option. I I feel so like and I want everyone to be protected, but gee, wouldn't I just like to be able to just click the button so I can do the things I want to do? Well, they got to make it a hard button though. Like, well, like you can disable security, uh, uh, system integrity protection, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they do have some buttons to allow us to be less secure if we really want to. And, and But you have to be knowledgeable enough to know where it is and go right. find it. You don't want that button to be right there going, I'm no. annoyed, please fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. There's got to be like a nerd test or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so one of the things I've really enjoyed in the enhancements of the operating systems together is all of the, the continuity features, the handoff and... Um, actually, this is a great example. I love being able to do something on my Mac, copy it, and then just paste over to my iPhone because it's annoying to type over there or something. But of course, today it didn't work. Um, but that one's pretty rock solid. It must be something else was wrong. But I love those kind of features, sidecar, yeah. all these things that are making these things interoperate. Are we going to get any more coolness on that? Do you know? On, uh, or do you think? I have not heard anything new in content for continuity um, okay. coming up. So I think we're probably s- just going to see some improvements to what you already can do. I think probably one of our bigger pain points is exactly what you're talking about, where like randomly sometimes it doesn't work. The the copy and paste doesn't work or something like that. Usually it's because our, we're not on the right Wi-Fi connection or something like that. But yeah, that's um, what they always it, say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, usually that's what happens. I'll, you know, I'll, look at my phone or look at my Mac and say, oh, yeah, I'm actually not on the same Wi-Fi network right now. So, yeah, yeah that's why that's happening. But, uh, yeah, we'll probably just see some smoothing out um, with, with continuity. Nothing new or, um, that I know of that's coming soon. Um, I don't think there's any special improvements to Sidecar, though. Now that you're talking about the problems with the trackpad, I, I hope that they've caught on to that, too, and have made some improvements with that. Yeah, because Sidecar came out prior to this surprise release of the trackpad and the, mm-hmm. and the cool new pointer idea. So I'll give them a little bit of time on that one, just just a little bit. I'll still whine <laughs> the whole time. So uh, what kind of things have you heard rumblings about? Um, okay, let's see. There's going to be, I believe, some new um, camera features, which are actually going to be surrounding the hardware. So like, we've got LiDAR now for... Um, iPad and I believe the iPhone 12 will be also uh, support LiDAR, which adds more 3D things um, for use with AR. I think that's right now that's the biggest thing that we're probably going to be seeing in iOS 14 is um, iPad and iPadOS 14 are huge AR advancements that uh, each year there's, there's new things that come out that are 
small incremental additions, but still are not a user experience that we want um, or that we need. So it's still kind of in, in this phase of like, well, what's the point of AR? But I think once Apple has all of its hardware in place that have um, 3D um, recognition, we're going to see more advancements with AR that Apple is doing themselves. So we're, we're going to see some bigger things with that. Um, the Apple Are, tags rumor let me, let that... Me, I, I want to talk about Apple tags, but... Um... I have to mock the whole concept of the AR thing. Uh, Tom Merritt likes to kid me because I always say AR isn't real. And he says, well, it does exist. <laughs> or, well, no, I say it does, I don't believe in it. And he says, well, it does exist. But <laughs> I just don't see why. I yeah. understand gaming. I understand gaming. But that's a, that's a, mm -hmm. a, it's a huge field, but it's also a narrow field. For the reason 95% of the people are going to buy an iPhone 12, is it going to be for LiDAR? No. Absolutely not. And that see, that's the the interesting thing about new technologies. AR and VR are very new technologies, and there really isn't solid infrastructure in place to allow for the market to decide what it's going to be used for. It's just not there yet. I would say we're not going to really see good, useful use cases for AR or VR for five to ten years. But in the meantime, you build the infrastructure. And that's why we have things like having our phones have the ability to uh, ping light back and forth so that we can create a 3D map in our own environment in our house. Mm -hmm. And then and then what? Nothing. Nothing for a few more <laughs> years, right? And so right. It, it's weird to say, but Pokemon Go is, a, is an example of AR not having any use case and then suddenly having a use case. And... It's it's just it's like the, a tiny little speck in a big huge future that we know nothing about, and I have to I have to push back a little on you with the not you know not believing in it, it which is I agree with it right now absolutely one hundred percent. But when the first iPad came out, everybody said, "Why would you need an iPad? It's just a really big iPod. It's not you. It's useless." It was at the time, right? We didn't know what to use it for, so it was nothing. AR and VR right now, other than the purposes of gaming, it means nothing to us, and we can't envision what it could be for us. But there's thousands of people out there that are figuring out, they're developing things that someday somebody's going to hit on that thing that's going to make AR make sense to us, and we're going to wear our Apple glasses out in public and that's going to be the new thing, just like wearing a watch on your wrist. It's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of what is it going to look like, which I personally have like no idea what AR can look like in the future, other than little things like pointing an arrow in front of your eyes when you're wearing glasses, you know, like AR glasses that tell you to turn right or turn left. Like to me, that's not worth the cost of a pair of AR glasses, but that's one thing that I can think of where that could be a useful thing in the future. So here's the reason I, I say I don't believe in it. And uh, it's specifically what you were saying about this is a new technology and we don't know where it's going to go yet. I'm going to send you a link to a video made in 1992 by Stuart Shafay in the Computer Chronicles. And every single word you hear them say in this interview is words we're saying today, which is it's a new technology. You know, the headset's too heavy uh, when we get the frame rate up so you don't throw up when you're wearing it. I mean, yeah. at the time, of course, this is this giant thing on somebody's head and it's like 
it's it's probably not as good as Minecraft in terms of video quality. And and uh, and yet everything we continue to say is identical to what we were saying then. So mm-hmm. I, and and it could be that it's it's just a matter of time before the technology catches up with the concept. But I'm starting to think it's 30 years away because the slope we're on is so slow. Yeah. And, and there's a chance that it that it will never be. A, a ubiquitous thing. So VR, I I think though it's it's still it still has a long way to go. I think VR has hit what it's going what it's good for, which is gaming and things that you do in the privacy of your own home. Um, and and it's I don't think VR will ever leave that space. That it's found its home. Um, but AR could expand beyond that, or it could be that people try and try and try. And it just never turns into anything. And and for our entire lives, we will wonder whether or not AR will ever be a thing. I think, though... <laughs> this is where I can the- never be right, right? Because as long <laughs> as we haven't completely said, nope, it's over, we're stopping trying to do this. That's right. the only way until, I win. Yeah, until the world says we're not going to work on AR anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I do think, though, they're, they're putting... Doing things like putting LiDAR into the phones that we carry in our pocket... That's a step in the direction of having more access to the means to develop something that could be important. So, you know, the um, the uh, article that you were talking about, that was a time when we, we didn't all have cell phones in our pockets. We, don't, we didn't all have the technology in our pockets every day. So I think today in 2020, we're better positioned to be the guinea pigs for those companies that are trying to figure out what AR could be used for. By the way, I do want it to be real. (laughs) So, you know, in a a sense of me, I believe, I mean, the the examples I like are where you meet somebody at a party and it tells you what their friggin' name is. I need that because I have no ability. I I, I worked for a a defense contractor for 35 years and we had badges. So I literally, right. from the from the day I turned 20, I never had to know anybody's name because it was on the badge right in front of me. So I simply never learned this skill that everybody else has. <laughs> That's what I blame it on anyway. Yeah. So I do like that idea. I like to be a, the idea of being able to walk down the street and, you know, not have to figure out whether my, uh, my watch tapping in this rhythm versus that rhythm meant turn <laughs> left or right. I mean, I know there's people who can interpret it, but I can't. But uh I, I want it to exist. Uh, I don't yeah. see how it's ever going to since I wear glasses. You know, is it going to be integrated in my glasses? They already cost me $600. Is it going to be like I got to wear a $12,000 pair of glasses to do? I don't know. <laughs> Seems like we have a ways to go on that. But Definitely. I, I agree with you. I don't think even if the hardware is out by 2021, I don't think the use case for AR is going to be ready for for consumer use for quite a while. Like there's going to be a bunch of us that are going to buy Apple glasses whenever it comes out even though there's nothing you can use them for, right? Yeah. yeah you know I'm and they're they're going to sit on they're going to sit on a shelf because we're not, we there won't be anything good to use them for. At least they'll be overpriced. 5 years <laughs> of course. But 5 years later, maybe there will be a use case for Apple glasses, you know? Like it's I, it's I do like there's a chance where I can see the future too though. Like I remember when um you may not be old enough to know about this, but there was an application called CUC Me from Cornell University. And it was the first little webcam service where you could have a video call with somebody. And 
the the resolution of the screen was probably smaller. Oh, yeah, significantly smaller than what's on your watch today. Maybe half of that. And it was grayscale and it was like eight frames a second. And we were in an hour and a half. We were able to make a connection to our friend Ron that lives a mile and a half away. And we all went, (laughs) whoa. Whoa, And it wasn't because it was good. It was because you could see that you and I in 2020 would be looking at full frame video color you know, high def resolution video of each other and feeling like we're actually talking to another person. Yeah, that's so great. But just knowing that experience of at the time what that was compared to what we're looking at today, that's that's yeah, it was that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. And again, it was funny because the guy was a mile and a half away. We could have driven over. You know, I walked to his house. That's how close it was. So I stopped you before talking about Apple tags. Uh, we need this for my husband. He has a disability. He cannot ever find anything ever it's it's like <laughs> comically bad um so are apple tags gonna save him i mean yeah that i'm sure you've heard of the other sort of tracking dongles that are out there like tile is a perfect example of that you mean like um, the tile that was in his backpack when it got stolen in peru and he lost all of his electronics and when we went to look for it on the tile app it said oh yeah those batteries died seven months ago and we never right. told you yeah. right so yes so <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> those are the pain points that will be solved with Apple Tags, uh, that we won't end up having that problem. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, by the way. That's so frustrating, knowing that you had something to track them with and the battery died on it. That's yeah. ugh, And they that's didn't tell me. us. Yeah, ugh, that was awesome. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so Apple Tags... Um, You know, obviously nothing is real until Apple announces it. So these are all still rumors and leaks and things like that. But I'm under the impression that we're going to see them soon. Um, My personal prediction is that we're going to where they're going to get announced at WWDC and that they'll be available before the iPhone or around the time when the iPhone 12 comes out. Um, They don't traditionally do hardware announcements at WWDC, though. Is there a software component? Uh, well, no, not, not, not something that doesn't already exist, but the, what they do have right now though, is, um, the world is in a completely upturned environment, right? right? So like everything is different. The rules are over. So that's why we're seeing things like a a new iPhone SE2, the iPad pro, these are all iterations on something that already existed. So they're going to need to have a reason to get our attention. They're not going to just, I don't think, they're going to just drop a press announcement that Apple tags are now available. They Mm want to show it off. What better place to get us to pay attention than the the tens of thousands of people that are watching the keynote address at WWDC? This is their chance to announce this brand new, never-before-seen product that nobody has any understanding of they get to be in charge of the control of the message by showing you how it works, what it looks like use cases for it. They've got their, you know, the same thing they do every year, whenever they announce any kind of product, they get to be in charge of how that information is presented to you. It's not just five paragraphs on a page. So I think that they're going to announce at WWDC because they get our attention but I also In don't a way think that this this may be even more attention than a regular WWDC because of the lockdown. We're all you know sitting home, got nothing to do anyway, and we couldn't get a ticket under normal circumstances. But now we can watch it, right? I mean, right. I guess you could, right? You could you always you, you could always watch the keynote, but so it feels that, more you know, free. 
<laughs> it does. It does. Because so much more of it is going to be free for yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. But yes, I, and I, and I do really think that this is how we're going to find out about Apple tabs, but I don't think they're going to, I think they're going to wait and release them very close to the same time as the new iPhone, the iPhone 12. Um, I don't have any real reason why other than it just seems right They They would price it in such and a way that you first. can get the new. Yeah. Right. And that they, you could get the iPhone 12 and the Apple tags for X dollars, you know, something like that. It's like a pat, not, not a package, uh, but you would feel like I'm going to get my new iPhone. I'm going to get my Apple tags. I'm ready to go. That's in my mind. Like it seems like a good marketing tactic for them is like, well, I'm already here. I guess I'll throw these Apple tags in there. You know, <laughs> would you like an Apple tag with that? Well, <laughs> right. And, and part of what's, uh, my understanding is that what could make this really work well is the, um, I think it was the W1 chip that they put in the iPhone that allows you to have directionality, like for AirDrop, which also works 70% of the time. Yeah, it's the U1 <laughs> chip. Yeah, U1. It's the, and yeah, it uses yeah, ultra, yeah, it uses the ultra wide brand. And, and that is, it basically, it pinpoints location instead of being like, Right. It, instead of it being in the general area. So let's say you and I are at a big party and I want to airdrop you a picture. I can point my phone in your direction and the four people standing next to you won't also get the airdrop. It's you that I'm trying to get. It'll right. pinpoint to you You'll and let, see let you know. You'll see device to, to point right. to you. I see that it, when I'm sitting at my desk now is I want to airdrop. And normally it was a big faffing about thing. And now it's like, <laughs> there's my MacBook Pro. I can just click yes. it. Yes. 70% so these, of the time. <laughs> these Apple tags will help pinpoint the location of something like a, a, a phone that got dropped in. I, I think my favorite way to describe it is at the movie theaters. How many people have accidentally, they sat down, their phone mm. fell out of their pocket. I used to work at a movie theater. So literally oh, okay. every single showing, somebody lost a phone. So I know for sure that happens. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Um, so if you were, you know, if, if something like that were to happen and the person that was with you turns on, you know, Apple tags and they go, okay, let's see, it's right in that seat right there. It, you know, like it rolled it's like a down. divining rod, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It <laughs> so it could potentially help pinpoint a lost, um, lost item pretty easily or a lost person for that matter. You know, I, um, Georgia Dow, who, oh my gosh, um, I could put is, it on my husband. <laughs> exactly. So you don't lose him. Where did he wander uh, off to? Georgia Dow, who uh, co-hosts the I'm More show with me, she wants to put them on her pets. She used to have an Apple tag that oh. she had on her dog. And same situation, the battery you, died. You mean a, not an Apple tag, but a uh, a tile? A she yes, a she used yeah. to have a tile. She had a tile well, and the battery the battery died on that. And, and I mean, her dog never got lost. She found her dog that was lost. But it was a situation where... The dog got out. She tried to use the tile tag. Couldn't find the the dog because the tile had run out of a battery. So she was very frustrated and never went back to using tile again. But here's these Apple tags, which hopefully would get more feedback information for us to let us know if a battery was going to die, if it needed charging, or if it needed a cell battery replacement or something like that. I just thought of another reason this might work even better is is the, the power of the tile system was that if enough people had tile in the tile app, their phones would be reporting that they were near your device. Well, now it's going to be iPhones. All iPhones. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be an interesting privacy question, won't it? How they were. I mean, I'm sure they'll work it out. But if your yeah, iPhone that, is telling me where my device is, where my, my 
my husband is. No, I'm kidding. I I can usually find him. But uh, <laughs> if, if, you know, your phone is telling me where his wallet is, then does your phone know in a way that you can find out where my husband's wallet is? I'm sure they won't, but it'll be interesting to hear how they fix that. Yeah. And that's actually things that as soon as Apple tags were leaked, that, that was something that came up. Well, how is, how is my privacy being protected? And, and actually, it goes even deeper than that. I don't I don't even want to go into the use cases that it could be. But, you know, I could slip a ta- an Apple tag into somebody's purse and then oh. follow them around. So oh, that's there's, creepy. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. Oh, man, <laughs> there's definitely. Um, yeah, there's definitely privacy and security issues that come into play with that. And in terms of like, let me also point out app uh, tile. And I, I'm sorry that I'm only using tile as the company name, because they're like, I don't mean to, they're not a bad company. They're actually a very good company. They just have issues with battery recharge needs. I think they fixed um, that by the way. Yeah. This yeah. Like I think, yeah. You ago. can now, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can now actually replace the battery on them instead of having to just buy a brand new tile, which has been, which is nice that they did that. But my point was that you can already do that right now with these little tracking dongles. So it's not like Apple tags is suddenly going to make a bunch of stalkers have better access to people. That's not, that's not the case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, that already exists in the world. These are not new. This isn't a new category of product. It's just Apple releasing their version of a product, which I think. Like you can't really put an Apple tag in your, in a men's wallet. I believe it's going to be, just a small circle, um, probably, like yeah, what is that, an inch quarter? and a half? A half bigger like than a, half a quarter, maybe? Yeah, like a half dollar size. I think it, that's if probably thin, about... If it's thin, mm-hmm. that's okay. It's not the diameter mm-hmm. that bothers me, but it's the thickness, right? If I've got a right. stick I, I have a, a thing about not carrying a lot of crap. So my wallet is is like, yeah, maybe a third of an inch thick, my entire mm-hmm. wallet. And so right. I won't put something in it that's bigger than that. So we'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. Now, you put something in the show notes as a speculated rumored uh, product called AirPod Studio. And I haven't even heard of that. Yeah. So Another this fictitious is fictitious thing we don't know actually exists, but. Right. I, I, this, okay. So let me, let me drop a quick um, shout out to John Prosser. So anybody listening knows, um, you, you know that this, the information that I'm getting, it's coming from somebody named John Prosser, who has been an incredible asset to those of us who write about Apple products, because he seems to have insider information and um, AirPods Studio, that's that's the official name coming from the leak, um, which are over-the-ear headphones by Apple. So oh. um, it's not a Beats headphone. It is an Apple-branded headphone. And we've seen pictures of it in some places. They, they actually kind of look like Beats over-the-ear headphones, but they have you know, an Apple logo on the outside of them or okay. uh, Apple's own look to them. So it's similar to the look of the Beats, um, Be- Beats Studio, but they're called AirPods Studio. So hmm. that, I'm, I believe we're going to hear about those very soon, like possibly possibly in June. Another, another thing they might announce, not necessarily at WWDC for those, though, because that's headphones. That's another thing where it's not a brand new category. It is a brand new category for Apple, though. So... Maybe like the way they did HomePod, they would want to announce to us, here's this thing that has beam forming arrays inside of your head or something like that, you know? (laughs) Uh, The only thing we know about AirPods Studio, though, is 
We have a we have a loose sketch idea of what they look like. We know that they're going to be called AirPod Studio, and we know we know that they're going to be three hundred and forty nine dollars. So that those are the Fun. only details we have. So what's the what's the use case? These are for higher quality sound than an earbud, but Bluetooth and noise canceling. That's the idea. Yep. So and and a, and Siri connectivity. So here's oh, the okay. thing. Like okay. yeah. So it it'll be it'll be like AirPods. But they're cans that go over your ears. That's it. That's the difference. And uh, probably significantly better audio quality. Okay. Now, why would they do AirPods Studio when they already have the Beats line and they have the Beats Studio headphones? There, there is question about that. So, there's there's a little bit of speculation that is Apple might eventually intend to fold Beats into the AirPods line and eliminate Beats eventually as, as a brand. You mean? As a brand, yeah, okay. which on the one hand, I could see because they've they've they were very successful in in integrating beats into the Apple lineup. So they're using Apple technology to improve the sound of beats. I, I, I don't know if you've re- had any beats headphones in the past year, but the sound quality has improved significantly. Since they're Apple they're not. Since really? Apple took over, they're not as bass heavy as they used to be. They have this like much better EQ. It, they're so much better than they used to be in terms of like everyday people sound quality. So they've they've successfully improved Beats by by being integrated with Apple. So on the on one hand, I can see that as a possibility. They could just fold the line in, and all headphones are just all Apple headphones. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I see being not it's hard for me to make that jump is that the Beats line has always been successful with um, licensing of things like the Mickey Mouse headphones, colors. They're, they're brighter and more interesting. They change their color lineup regularly. Apple only has white headphones. They don't, (laughs) they have never changed that. So it's hard for me to imagine if I were not an Apple fan like I am and I were buying headphones and the only option I had for a studio headphones were white, I wouldn't buy them. I'd go find another company and I'd buy a colorful set of headphones or black or silver or whatever. I'd have my options. I would never just buy studio Apple studio headphones just in that one color as a regular everyday shopper. So, you know, the white white thing is interesting too. Um, I remember telling my saying something to my daughter saying, oh, I saw this guy. Uh, we have a lot of famous basketball players that work out at my gym. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, I saw so-and-so. And I, 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 the first thing I noticed was he was wearing Beats headphones. And my, my daughter could not believe I knew what Beats headphones were. <laughs> I, don't, I am not an audiophile at all. I don't even listen to music. Um, and I can explain why later that everybody else has heard the story before. But um I, she was amazed that I knew it, but it was such a visual brand that really stood out. And the same mm-hmm. thing is true with AirPods. And I, I am mm-hmm. convinced that the success of the iPhone is like 20% because of the white earbuds when they first yeah. came out. Because you knew someone had an <laughs> iPhone, not some other cruddy little phone. You knew it was an iPhone and it was a, it was a fashion statement. And then mm-hmm. everybody made fun of the AirPods, said they looked ridiculous sticking out of your ear. But now you go, oh, oh, you have the long AirPods. You have uh, AirPods. You have the old ones, don't you? You don't have AirPods. You know, there's a whole <laughs> thing in, in branding right? visually. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the, the Air, uh, AirPods studio would be white. You know right. they're going to be white. You don't even right. have to see the sketches to know, right? No, exactly. So, you know, they would lose out on a huge group of people who love to buy Beats because they like having colors. I have a pair of red um, Beats 
uh, uh, power beats, um, uh-huh. r- bright red. They're gorgeous. I love. Them. They're so <laughs> colorful. So you know, what about people who want color? So I think I can see the idea of integrating beats into the Apple line and just dissolving the Beats brand. But I also can see a really strong reason why they would keep the Beats line going, which what is if? color what and branding. What if they go back? To the rainbow logo, like we've heard the the uh, the rumors, <laughs> and that's when they introduce AirPod Studio in rainbow colors. Oh, I would jump on that. That would be so fun. <laughs> Wouldn't it be right? Hey, yeah. this has been so much fun. Um, you mentioned, and we're not going to go into this right now, that you have a real passion for indie developers. I think it might be mm-hmm. really fun to get together again after WWDC and hear your thoughts on how what this can be like for indie developers, because I have a passion yeah. for them, too. Oh, that's great. I would love to. I would love to come back. I've really enjoyed having a chat with you. It's been really fun. Yay. I I was hoping we wouldn't. It was more fun than I even thought. If people want to follow you (laughs) online, what's the best place to go? You can find me at Appaholic on Twitter. That's A-P-P-A-H-O-L-I-K. And you can find me at Lori Gill at most of the other social things. Okay. And And if you want to send me an email... Yeah, and if you want to send me an email, it's Lori at iMore, L-O-R-Y at iMore.com. And of course, iMore.com to read the fine uh, tutorials. And just just for your information uh, to the audience, my sense is that your articles are very often oriented towards the beginner user. And I think that's really underserved. It's it's easy to find the high-end stuff, but it's hard to find the, I just got an iPad, I don't know where to start kind of an article. And you've got a lot of those. Yeah, I really enjoy I my career has been built around what would my mom ask me about? <laughs> and then I write those articles. Cuz your mom is interested <laughs> in tech, right? But she does just doesn't no, know. No. Stuff, right? No, not really. She just has an iPhone, she has an iPad and she calls me up and she goes, "Why won't my mail sync?" And then I go, "Okay, there's a question. Let's answer that question for my mom. Why mom won't her mail sync?" Mom feeds it to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for coming. This was fantastic. Thank you. It was really great having you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSilla Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla Castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.